Good morning. This is State of the Arts NYC, and this is your host, Savannah Bailey McLean. And today we have in our studio Kamar Jewell and Tara Elliott. They're going to talk to us about a very interesting festival that's going on in New York City. As everyone should know, this week kicked off APAP, which is the Association for Performing Arts. And they are affiliated with about 11 other festivals, Winter Jazz Fest, Prototype, uh, the Joyce Theater, with their dance performance, American Dance Platform. But then there's this really lovely festival that deals with stage directing and stage directing as an art. So I asked them to come in and talk to us about their festival, their productions, and what it means to them. So welcome, Kamar, and thank you, Tara. So nice to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm so glad. So tell us first, what does it mean to be about a, a, a part, I should say, of this festival that deals with stage directing? So yeah, the Drama League is this incredible organization that has been around for a really long time, and they are probably one of the most important organizations supporting the work of directors. There's a lot of development opportunities for playwrights and actors out there, but the Drama League is really working to showcase directors, and so this festival is made to kind of highlight and show the world what directors do as an art form. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's six, I believe there's six performances in the festival that span a total range of kind of different approaches to directing. And it's really exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like this because it really kind of crosses different disciplines. So you're dealing primarily with theater, but then it's very similar to directing film or videos or uh, curators like myself when, when we're producing, um, you know, exhibitions. So I, I like all of this. So we're going to jump right in with Kamar, who's doing this really interesting production, Marry Me a Little. Yes. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself first and then go into this production. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, so once again, uh, my name is Kamar Jewell, and mm -hmm. yes, Jewell is my last name. People always ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I was born in Jamaica. Uh, okay. I came to America mm -hmm. when I was two years old, and uh, my family and I moved to Philadelphia. So I'm, I'm Philly bred, Philly raised, go Eagles, go Sixers, the whole nine yards. All <laughs> right. <laughs> and you guys just won that big of football course, game. Of course, of course. Yes. You know? <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then, yes, for the past three years, I've been uh, living in New York, working as a full-time artist. Um, but I think uh, the most ex <clears throat> the most uh, exciting thing about me is that uh, when I was in college, I uh, uh, basically created a video for a class, a project, um, and my professor told me, like, it was an amazing video, so put it online. I was like, ah. She was like, no, put it online. I was like, okay. So I put the video online, and long story short, uh, it started catching the eye of uh, many, many celebrities, um, Erica Badu, Perez oh, wow. Hilton, 
um, uh, and the list goes on. Just so many celebrities started tweeting um, uh, about the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Brady. So many people just loved the video. And then uh, people started contacting me from Time Magazine, Huffington Post, and everyone's like, we, you know, we're gonna cover your your video, do stories about you. And the next thing I know, the the video had like hundreds of thousands of views. And then artists from Europe saw the video and contacted me. Was like, hey, I love what you do and I love your work. I want you to come to Europe and work with me on tours, on shows, on music videos. Um, so a few years ago for six about like yeah about six and a half months i lived in europe working with people and it was just like the most incredible experience of my life so just going from you know being a college student to working and living in europe being flown around on private jets and all that type of stuff was so amazing and that so, does sound amazing <laughs> it was amazing um and so mm-hmm. once that whole venture was done as soon as i came back t- uh, to america i was like you know what this is what I want to do with my life. And so I quit my job in Philly, moved to New York on a whim, and just started my life anew. And I'm, I'm very happy with what I've done ever since. Wow, that's quite an adventure. <laughs> that's quite a story. Wouldn't you say that, Tara? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you have an interesting story, too. Why don't you tell us? A little hard to follow. <laughs> slightly less glamorous. <laughs> no, I think no. I think you underestimate your story. <laughs> Tell so us. So I was born and raised in New Hampshire, middle of nowhere. I'm very much a country girl at heart, um, but have spent a lot of time living outside of the United States uh, in pursuit of understanding other approaches to ways of life um, and spent a lot of time living in Chile and Costa Rica and kind of investigating cultural heritage from those parts of the world and realized that in order to like make meaningful work in theater and dance and community, I had to build a community someplace where I could be for a while, which did not feel like it could be South America. So I ultimately came to New York searching out uh, a community and have begun to find it here. Okay. Uh, and um, the first piece of theater that I directed that really kind of had import in my life that started to kind of set my career rolling was this one woman show that I helped develop from the seed of an idea into kind of a full-blown piece that then did very well and we were able to tour with it to LA and San Francisco and Seoul and London and it that was the kind of moment for me in which I was like oh I think this is something that I can do and want to do and, and should be doing. No, that's a, a very compelling story, too. And what I want to ask both of you, <clears throat> just jump on in, what made you decide that you want to do directing? Because directing is an art form in and of itself. It's storytelling. It's really master storytelling. I always think of my favorite, one of my favorite film directors, Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. where he's storyboard every single scene, every single detail, because he could see it in his mind and tell this story. And then uh, he can add all of these other layers. Um, I still love the man that um, who knew too much, because he did two versions mm. of it. But what made you decide that you wanted to become this sort of master storyteller? <laughs> um. I think for me, uh, from, from a young age, I've always just loved telling stories and telling tales. And uh, as my grandmother uh, would say, I um, uh, I fib too much. <laughs> 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 and so, um, I've always loved that growing up. Um, but I think what what 
really kind of set me on this journey was this this um uh, this kind of like self-realization you know i when i was younger um i was a dancer and then you know i i started getting older and started being exposed to real dancers who literally mm. have been like breaking their bodies since they were four years old and ballet at four years old stuff like that and that just wasn't me and i think at a at a very early age i want to say like my late teens i realized that you know kamara like you're a good dancer but you're not like the dancer you know um you know you're a good singer you're not the singer you're a good actor you're not the actor and you know it that was hard at first you know it was hard and then i started realizing that that the thing that i was best at was storytelling and then i i started realizing that basically i i could take all that dance experience all this mm -hmm. acting experience all this you know cultural stuff from uh from being queer and being caribbean and all this type of stuff and put that into my storytelling and create stories that no one else has have uh, has ever seen before has ever done before and also i've just known historically that whenever I see something in my head and I put it on stage or on a performance or whatever, people have always responded to it well. So that's how I knew that I wanted to do directing. Oh, wow. That was <laughs> nice. How about you, Tara? Yeah. So from a very young age, I've been kind of obsessed with the experience of like magic or wonder or surprise. And I w did all of these kind of experiments with my friends as a kid where I would like create weird little immersive theater things for them and kind of like take them on a walk and like weird things would happen that I had planned and they thought were just happening. And that has kind of threaded through my life to where I am now because I guess I want to be a director because I want to bring people together to experience kind of collective wonder or magic or surprise. Um, and there's something about theater making that is so ephemeral. You know, you work on a project and you get to know these people really intensely and you move towards the making of this thing and then that thing just goes away. Poof. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there's something in that that feels like it teaches us how to be with each other over and over and over again. And it teaches how to learn how to be human and how to make decisions and how to compromise. And facilitating that process feels meaningful. Um, and it also is the place where magic can happen. Okay. So going specifically <clears throat> to your productions... Mm -hmm. Because um, they caught my attention as I was reading the different um, synopsis that was online. Your production, come on, tell me more about it because it's about two men mm -hmm. who are, I, at first I was confused. I wasn't sure if they were <laughs> in the same room, mm -hmm. but they are in the same room. Mm -hmm. They're gay and they're developing this relationship. Yes. And it's looking at how this relationship evolves. Right. Um, so, um, uh, first and foremost, just uh, as a musical theater lover, I love Stephen Sondheim. Like, he is, like, the mm. master of modern musicals, all his, like, internalized rhymes and the lyrics and, oh, <laughs> just so amazing. I, I love Sondheim. Um, so, uh, I was truly excited to do anything by Sondheim. And so, I think what really drew me to this piece was more the fact that, um, that usually – this show is done uh, with uh, with one white woman and one white man, and they're living in separate apartments, uh, you know, but because everything is very postmodern on stage, it looks like one apartment. And they start to, like, fall in love, and, you know, they have, like, you know, these complex relationships, and they're basically embodying each other's fantasy, right? But at the end, um, oftentimes they, they fall in love and just have this, this truly romantic love story and, and this very complex relationship all in, like, 75, 80 minutes, right? And... I have always wondered, like, 
so where is that for people who who look like me? Okay. Um, and I I think what what really drew me to this was that um, in my entire life, and I'm I'm, I'm almost thirty, um, and am I still a babe? Oh, I don't. But my knees hurt because I'm a dancer. <laughs> so <I don't> like <laughs> um, in my entire life, I I have only ever seen three times on like uh, TV, film, video, stage productions where two black gay men were together in a relationship that was not problematic or secretive or just full of drama and anger and problems. Mm-hmm. And those three times were uh, in 2005 with uh, Noah's Ark, which was a show on Logo. Um, it was in 2016 with uh, Moonlight and in 2018 with Pose. And so even looking at that jump from 2005 to 2016, that's 11 years where I never saw anyone who looked like me who was in a relationship that was not full of drama and triggers and, and toxic masculinity. And so that's what I wanted to to really put on the stage and, and really show people that, you know, the, these two men can fall in love and can do something different than you've ever seen before and so i'm excited to do this um also because this show is usually always staged as two separate apartments mm-hmm. but i'm choosing to turn it upside down on his head uh with the race of the actors with the gender um of the actors but also with the staging so they will be uh, moving into one apartment together and we kind of get to see this full relationship scope of going from friends to you know i kind of like you to you know this kind of flirting and then you know we kind of fall into love and then have conflict and then it's it's just a wild ride and also because i'm a choreographer at heart just such beautiful just dancing and staging and, and sequences there where, you, where you'll be sitting there like damn <laughs> I, I wish i had that type of relationship okay you know? and so okay. I'm, I'm just super excited about everything okay that's good the whole issue because what's intriguing me is your your exploration of identity in a different sort of way because mm-hmm. nowadays when people talk about identity or identity politics it's more on the dramatic side right. like people feeling that they have to prove something but you're saying that you would like it where you didn't have to prove anything right. where folks could just be. you know be yeah. and that in and of itself is revolutionary right. just being right right mm, very good one of, my, one of my favorite quotes says that a black man loving another black man is is truly a a revolution and so that that's what i you know i just uh, i just want to show that and just like what you said like just seeing them be is enough well it, really love in general yeah. <clears throat> is a revolution because nowadays we're living in a world with there where there is so much violence mm-hmm. i mean just the news alone of people killing other people who were in relationships with children right. it's just astounding it's like if you really don't want to be with that person just go get a divorce <laughs> right. you know you don't have to kill that person you don't have to hurt that person to do that so love in it of itself is revolutionary right. so um that's good because you mentioned moonlight i was just thinking about if beale street mm-hmm. could talk just watching it because it is a yeah. love story yeah, so beautiful a beautiful story i actually just saw it yesterday uh shout out to virginia king oh on, yeah on your win um but but uh but yeah i just saw it yesterday and lily was in tears just like not because of anything in the show but uh, uh in the movie but literally because it was just two black people that were in love and we get to see this whole scope of their relationship right and that was it and that it was, was it beautiful. that was there was it. no drama no there was no like <clears throat> i'm gonna fight you to be with me like it was plain and simple and it was beautiful yes that's all 
So now, Tara, you are doing a very interesting story. It's a love story, too. It's a love story, but it takes a darker look at love. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's the process that's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, so the play I'm directing is Drunk Enough to Say I Love You by Carol Churchill. She is one of my favorite writers, uh, deeply political, inventive, uh, very theatrical. And this play looks at the relationship between a guy named Guy and a country named Sam and poses some pretty big questions about what it means to love America, to try to love America, to maybe just have an affair with America. And it also tracks a relationship from kind of a first date scenario through taking somebody home to your apartment and then what happens when you move in together and then... The true self gets revealed and things start to get messy. Mm. And it really looks at um, how we deal with power and how America deals with power. The whole play is written in the language of American foreign policy, which is actually just American foreign atrocities, American-made atrocities. And so the love language of Guy and Sam becomes this kind of discussion of how we are enacting violence economically, politically, um, on peoples of the world. And then it kind of turns into this abusive relationship between Guy, a citizen of America, um, and Sam, who is kind of representative of the, the whole thing. <laughs> But it's it's more complex than just that. Absolutely. Because it asks the question of complicity. Like, what does it mean for somebody, any American, to love America? And specifically, um, in my read of the play, I was interested in uh, America's treatment of immigrants and kind of the way in which America offers the American dream to people living outside of America and what happens and how those people are treated and seen once they arrive here and make lives here. Now, how do you stage something as complex as that? How do you (laughs) stage something as complex as that? So a lot of it comes in kind of how the characters are relating to objects in space. The play is set in an apartment, Mm -hmm. Sam's apartment, America's home. And um, one of the things that I find really interesting is they're talking about all these atrocities, but there's no consequence to their action. But then over the course of the play, there does begin to be consequence in the form of global warming, essentially. And so the violence that they are enacting on people in the world begins to be enacted upon objects in the apartment. Mm -hmm. So perhaps a deck of cards gets thrown in the air as we bomb Vietnam and Laos or uh, a pencil becomes a bridge in North Korea that explodes. And slowly the accumulation of objects in the apartment begins to be representative of the atrocities that we've made. Very interesting. Okay, because this is what it's all about. It's not just the story, but how do you tell the story? Just dovetailing for a second, because when you were describing that, it reminded me of sand play therapy. Have you ever heard of it? Yes. That? My mom is actually a therapist and uses sand play therapy. Look at that. <laughs> I just wasn't aware of you. You knew. knew it. You knew. <laughs> and because um, I had worked um, for 10 years in a mental health clinic for children. Wow. And I wasn't a therapist, but nonetheless, I was very involved in the after school, kind of ran it at one point, the after school and summer program. And uh, the uh, clinic director wanted everyone 
in the clinic to observe this whole thing, the sand tray therapy, and how it would help children who had experienced mm. major trauma or violence, and it was a way for them to tell you, because children do not have the vocabulary, to tell you what happened to them. Mm. So in this miniature sand tray, they were able to enact it so that they could kind of kind of relieve themselves of that trauma so they can move on. And that mm. sounded exactly like what you were describing. They were dealing with all of these negative aspects of America so in a very tight environment. Yeah. So that way they could discuss it, I guess, in this particular case. Exactly. Actually, one of my original thoughts for the set, which I quickly abandoned, was a giant sandbox. It's so. something. <laughs> Small world. Yep. <laughs> People clean up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I knew the drama league wouldn't like. Yeah, but it's just funny, and so therefore, this is good. So, um, I think what the two of you are doing is quite bold and and different, and the drama league should be commended for what they're doing to introduce, you know, different concepts, so that people can think about it. Now, I know nowadays, a lot of Americans are saying that they just want to be entertained. They don't want to think. But do you feel the staging of your productions offer both? Um, uh, me personally, yes. Um, something that, that's uh, um, another added layer to my production is that um, literally we have both of these men sitting in um, you know the same apartment, but also uh, the entire stage is um, in like the round. Mm -hmm. So it's very immersive. So, so basically... Um, the audience is actually sitting in the apartment with them. So literally, as they're falling in love, as they're like discovering things, as they're revealing these moments to each other, as they're having these like very intimate moments that once again never get to see black men being intimate with each other. Um, as they're having these moments, you, you're sitting right there. So you're 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 literally three, four feet from them, and you're watching them be together, discover each other, look at each other, and it, it's just something that I think that you cannot get from watching a movie. You cannot get from a, a television show you cannot get from hearing a story about these two men like you need to sit there and actually watch and 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 i think seeing seeing their love will keep you entertained and i think that there's a difference between them trying to entertain you versus them being themselves and you feeling entertained and that's really what this story is about is that once again these are just two men who are in their apartment and i'm sure that we all know how it is to be in your apartment and be silly and joke around and jump on the couch and just act stupid and basically just seeing that just seeing that in as pure as raw as form is is, is going to keep the audience entertained and hopefully buy tickets again for the next show oh. <laughs> how about you tara absolutely i mean I think one of the things that's very kind of engaging about the play that I'm working on and also my staging of it is the fact that the language that you're hearing and the action that you're seeing okay, yeah, <laughs> that you're seeing on stage um, are doing totally different things. And so you're hearing this language of foreign policy, but you're seeing a romantic relationship play out and kind of pairing those two things together create a whole new layer of meaning that keeps you on your toes all right well thank you so much for joining us today no problem now just let us know the days and the times in which your production is going to be um, sure occurring. um uh uh before i get to that i just want to quickly say that one of the other great things about the drama league and this whole festival is that literally um 
uh, producers and people who are spending money, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on productions and shows and, and stuff like that, you know, they can see actors auditions for uh, like mm. like designers. They can look at, you know, like like renderings and that type of stuff for playwrights. They can read their work and decide what they want. But for directors, it's hard for people to be like, hey, I want to spend money on, you know, on you. I want to invest in you. And I think that that is the important of uh, sorry, that is the importance of this festival. So people can come and be like, wow, I love his work. I love her work. I love what they did in their concept. Let me have them come to my theater, have them come do something, stuff like that. Because without this festival, a lot of these connections would never be made. So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for this. Um, and yes, to answer the question. Um, my show is actually opening the whole festival, so I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Marry Me a Little plays uh, at the New Ohio Theater um, in, in uh, Manhattan. Uh, it starts uh, Friday, January 11th, and then uh, we have a, a night show at 7 p.m. And then the next day, Saturday, uh, January 12th, we have a matinee show at 2 p.m. and then a night show at 7 p.m. Perfect. What about you, Tara? Yeah, so Drunk Enough to Say I Love You is paired with another show, which is going to be very funny, called The Clitterish. And um, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so our performances begin on January 18th at 7.30. And then on January 19th, we have a 2 p.m. matinee and a 7.30 p.m. evening show. This is great. So I love this because um, you get to see some new works that are American. And, um, you know, it kind of, you know, like Broadway is great, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there are very few fresh Mm -hmm. productions. It's a lot of repeats of older productions because they want to guarantee an audience. But it's nice when experimental works can get done and seen and shown. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. This was absolutely fantastic. Kicking off, you're the first show, kicking off 2019. And so I just wanted to say thank you so very, very much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Okay. Stop, honey. (laughs) Okay, I think it's now it's still going. Gotcha. Sweet. Oh, let's 